Good morning. How are we all doing? All okay? Good. Had a good week? Yes, some of us have, everybody's nodding, good, okay. Well, this week is um, message two of the three series of uh, Andrew gave last week his prophetic sense for the year. I'm uh, this week and then Mark is next week in my absence. So as Elizabeth said, if you do have any issues, uh, just get in touch with Mark. And on the weekly email, what I do is I'm going to send out a weekly email for the next two weeks and it's going to have Mark's contact details on him. Or on it, not on him, not tattooed on his forehead. Uh, they're going to be in there, so if you do need them, do get in touch. Okay? How did you get on last week? Were you all fired up? Do you remember? Are there certain? I know you missed out. There were certain words. What was the word? Can you remember? Catalabano. I can't do it like him. Catalabano. When Andrew speaks, something happens to me like, come on, come on. Anybody else feel that? So I hope that, uh, as, as I'd said before, we are staring at the same diamond. And uh, certainly when Andrew was speaking, uh, I, had, I had no idea about what I was going to speak, but they dovetail quite nicely. And I know that what Mark's going to speak about next week will do the same. So I want to I wanna recap a little bit. Andrew gave quite a nice explanation about what the prophetic is. And the, it's the supernatural ability to speak the mind of God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is what Wimber said about it, uh, to us and through us. And why should we be after a prophetic sense of anything? Well, it's a biblical command. And we at DCB want to be a prophetic community. Now, I don't know what your experience of the prophetic has been, but sometimes it can be incredibly strange. Incredibly strange. One time I was given a very strange picture. And they just went, there you go. I went, right? doesn't need to be that way. We want this to be ease and flow and a normal part of who we are so that we can say, you know, I have a sense of this and I have a sense of that. So each year we're, we're going to be delivering our prophetic sense for the year. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So it's a biblical command that we desire to be a prophetic people. It's a byproduct of relationship. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then John 5, 19, which is really a core verse for us as a church. Truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the the father does, the son also does. And it's also a a part of God's sovereign plan for us to know. God does not want us to be ignorant. At times, he will keep us from having the full picture. But he does not want us to be unaware of what it is that he wants us to know, if that makes sense. So do you know the great poem, is it by Holman Hunt? About you start at at the start of the year and put your hand in the hand of God and that shall be greater than any known light. Because we're in relationship. Whenever we're in relationship with him, he tells us what we need to know and we need to know it. Amos 3, seven. surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So prophetic words require a response. And often this is part of maybe what the, the equation that's not given. Whenever we're given a prophetic word, it's up to us to weigh and test that and then to receive it. Now, we cannot make it happen, but we can certainly stuff it up. 
So there's always something that, re- that is required of us. So the response bit is our part, our receipt and acceptance of the message that is delivered, and we cannot make it happen. That's God's job, but we can't mess it up, as I've said. So if someone was to give me a prophetic word, I would listen to them. Uh, if they said something that was totally off, I probably would say, I'm sorry, but I, I, I don't, I, I'm, that makes me a little uncomfortable or something like that. Yeah, that would be awkward, but I would rather be honest. Just say, I just, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Uh, if somebody said something to me and I thought it was on and I wasn't sure as in how that works or what's going to happen, but it seems to me that it's on, I would say, I receive that. Thank you very much. Because I want to mark the fact, yes, I'm going to take that. It's a bit like the postman knocks on the door. Here's a parcel. Now, if the parcel looks like a grenade, I may go, no, thanks very much. I'm not signing for that. And really, words at times can be worse than grenades. Who was it saying? Words can bring me down. Thanks. <laughs> Somebody was with me. But yet, so often we receive all of the junk that people are saying to us. When actually, we maybe need to hold all of those. Remember, we talked about that mind matters. Hold thoughts, and not even just thoughts, just things that are spoken to us. So if uh, there's a prophetic word coming your way, and you think this is on, you want to go, thank you very much, I'm going to have that. Okay, so there's a part that we have to play. Okay, let me give you a quick recap on what Andrew said. He said it's the 2018 is a year of opportunity that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, that we need to step out of the boat. Now, what's the boat? The boat is our place of familiarity and comfort, and it's going to be different for everybody. We need to embrace the negative reality of, you know, Jesus says, well, actually, when you reread the passage, Peter's the one says, if it's you, would you tell me to come? And he says, it's me, come on. Peter goes, right, okay, get out of the boat. At that point, the rest of us go, why did I even ask the question? But we don't know what it's on to. But what we do know is that the Jesus is calling us outside of the boat. So we have to embrace the negative reality, reality about that. And then the word that Andrew used, the Greek word, katalambano, which really means to grab like you're seizing something. We have guinea pigs. Now, one of them's not here anymore. But we still have one. It keeps surviving. But if you're trying to, if you're trying to catch it, like they, uh, there's probably a nicer way to do this. And for anybody who's listening who works for the animal welfare, animal welfare, I'm sorry. But you have to seize it and grab it or it just zips away. So catalambano is where you see something and you grab it. So this is a year of opportunities that we have to seize rather than just go, oh, might be an opportunity. As it goes past like a hurricane. So catalambano, lay hold of the opportunity with both hands. And this will produce greater intimacy with God, greater direction. And this is a year of breakthrough and a year of great moments. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay, so what have I got to say? Well, I believe this is a year of reorientation. The dictionary definition means to adjust or to align something in a new or a different way. So this is the year of reorientation. Now, rather than what I would counsel you to do is rather than go, okay, that's Andrew's message there. If we're staring at the same diamond, then this should all dovetail and layer up. So actually, rather than go, well, that was Andrew's message, let this be Andrew and Colin's sense, and next week be Andrew, Colin, and Mark's sense, so that there's a fuller picture, okay? So this is a year of reorientation. And please note that a few degree of difference at this stage 
in this season will make a massive difference in the years to come. If you think about the trajectory of a rocket, if it is slightly off on the ground, you may not be able to notice that. But those who are about analyzing all those things and are responsible for that want the rocket to be in exactly the right position for launch. So little changes often I was talking to someone during the week and our tendency is to go, I'm going to change everything right now because that's what God would want me to do. Rather than what we know in nature is it's little seeds that germinate in their season, that grow into little seedlings that get taller and stronger and through seasons and storms and uh, cold and heat and blossom and fruit, they grow gently. So this uh, may be about massive changes, but more often than not, it's about little degrees of difference of change. And also then we can have a course correction midair. And we're going, we've always done this, this is the direction we're going, and we're going straight down this line. And then what do you know? You start encountering God more in your life, and he brings this kind of nudging thing. You're like, no, we're going in this direction. God's going, no, 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 God, we're going in this. How's that working for you? God, no, we're going this way. Really? I really want to spend time with you, but we're going this way. Really? No, God, we're going this way. You're going to have to admit that we're not going this way. I'm making you to go this way. So if this is a course correction midair and it's God, let it happen. Let's be a bit more open-handed about some of these things. Proverbs 16.9, in a man's heart he plans his way, but it is the Lord who directs his steps. Ain't that the truth? So there's a process to this reorientation. To be able to reorientate something, you have to know that it needs reorientating. How do you find out that it needs orientating, I hear you ask? Well, thank you for asking that question. Let me read Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to pummel you again with uh, lots of scripture. So Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, with the train of his royal robe filling the temple. Above him seraphim stood, each one had six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah was with the Lord, he realized something about himself, and he realized something that needed to change. So reorientation requires a paradigm shift. Now, what do I mean by a paradigm shift? Well, a paradigm shift can be many things, but it's an experience, it's a situation, it's a circumstance that moves us from one understanding of who God is to another. And it's also an experience, a situation, or a circumstance that moves us from one understanding of who we are to another. So in uh, 2001, 17 years ago, isn't that ridiculous? I was sitting in Ghana in West Africa, and I was in um, an African church, and it was one of those, uh, there were some rather large ladies waving their hankies. It was just, I I came from a Presbyterian background. This was way out of my comfort zone. 
And uh, it was just brilliant. Anyway, I just sat down and I was brought by the guy that I was staying with. Uh, I was there with Wycliffe Bible Translators. The reason I thought I was there was to document the photographs of the, the different jobs that Wycliffe were doing throughout, throughout Ghana. But I sat there and he said to me, I'll start with the African accent and then stop. What is your name, my friend? And you're like, hey, what? What's going on? I Meanwhile, your heart's going, what is this? What is your name, my friend? I went, I'm Colin. Where are you from? I'm from Northern Ireland. And then he says, there's a lot of favor on your life and the Lord has brought you here for different reasons than you think. At that moment, I was reorientated. It was a paradigm shift. I thought I was there to just take photographs. Now, the photographs, they were there for a season. I'm sure they did their job. Some of them were all right. To be honest, I couldn't care less. But what I do care about is that encounter. And then at the end of my trip, I had three hours with him. And it really, really changed the direction of my life. And he and I are still in a relationship. It was a paradigm shift. And when they come, we understand something of who we are. And who we need to become. And something of who God is. And who he wants to be to us in those moments. Reorientation. Let me read Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. I always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him. For we know the Father through the Son. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us, who believe. Paul was describing a paradigm shift. He was praying that those who were hearing, including us, would have a paradigm shift, that we might understand something more about who God is. Now tell me, how did Paul know about paradigm shifts so well? Does anybody remember his journey? Yeah? Formerly known as Saul. So let's go to Acts 9, verses 1 to 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and relentless in his search for believers. In case you remember, why has he got so much more words? These I don't remember these verses like this. I'm reading from the Amplified because I just like how it expands it. So his relentless uh, search for the believers went to the high priest and asked for letters of authority from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any men or women there belonging to the way who were believers, followers of the Jesus, the Messiah, men and women alike, he could arrest them and bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. He was passionate. Got to give that to him. And as he traveled, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, displaying the glory and majesty of Christ. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me and oppressing me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him were terrified and stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days, and he neither ate nor drank. So God begins this process by revealing the direction we are facing before he reorientates us. Now you may think, well, and he did in the natural, Saul was struck blind. That was only a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Paul didn't know what the heck was going on. He thought he knew. That is one of the most dangerous places that we can be in when we assume and think we know that which we do not know. So God often and always pretty much brings us to a place where he communicates to us, you do not know what you think you know. Let me alter your reality and bring a paradigm shift into your life. But what I want to say to us is it does not have to be so severe. It doesn't have to be a Saul on the road to Damascus experience. Though we may pray for that, I don't know that I particularly want to have to have that. I would rather little course corrections. But it doesn't have to be like that. Luke 20, 18, everyone who falls on that stone being Jesus Christ will be broken to pieces, but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Saul's world came crashing down that time when he was knocked off his horse. And 13 years later, I think at that point then, it was Saul who was also known as Paul. And if you notice as it goes through Acts, the Saul bit starts to drop off and he just becomes Paul. His uh, paradigm shift and encounter with the Lord resulted in like a dual nationality. And then he fully made it over to being a citizen of the kingdom. That's a flawed analogy. My theology is not correct in that statement for those who would take me down for that. He was saved as of that point, absolutely. But it was a process to move him from being Saul to being Paul. But he was going with the purpose of completely opposing what Jesus was up to. And the Lord got hold of him and utterly changed him. So be encouraged. Let me give you a different example. This is from Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving and responsibilities. And she approached him and and said, Lord, Is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do all of the serving alone? Tell her to help me and to do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered and anxious about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. Reorientation always begins with God's adjustment to our understanding. Saul understood that the followers of the way were opposing the truth. He was a man of extremes. He was murderous. He took life. So God knocked him off his horse and struck him blind because he needed that. Martha, on the other hand, Martha, she, well, she understood that being busy in the presence of God is service. Her sister's devotion in Martha's understanding was laziness. She should be in here helping me. Lord, do you not have a problem with her? You should be telling her to do this. Well, that didn't exactly work out well for Martha. Martha's paradigm only saw all that needed to be done. And what I would suggest to you is she was likely incredibly overwhelmed. 
And I would also suggest that she probably prided herself in her works. Because she was doing all of this stuff. I'm busy here doing all this, looking after the Messiah. What's she doing? She's sitting in there doing nothing. So Jesus, you need to, you need to go in there and sort that thing out, don't you? I can nearly hear his tone of voice. Oh, Martha. You've missed it. This is what's going on. The fruit was frustration for Martha as she only saw what Mary wasn't doing. She resulted in an accusation to Jesus in a request for Mary's rebuke. And then Jesus pointed out to her the direction that she was facing. You're troubled by so much stuff, Mary. Jesus showed her what she was missing when she looked at her sister's heart. And Jesus informed Martha that only one thing was required. Reorientation. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its super, superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. And Proverbs 3 Five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Mary said out of her understanding, tell her off. She's not doing what I'm doing because I know exactly what I should be doing because this is the right thing to do. And Jesus reorientated her. So let's not hold so tightly to what we think is the way that God should be doing things or lean on our own understanding Look at Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How many of us, when we first got married, thought that we were marrying pretty much the same person as ourselves? Am I on my own with that? I am on my own with that? Absolutely. Jeepers, I'm exposed then. I really did. I, I, guess I, I guess I assumed that, yeah, her and I must be pretty similar. We are completely different. Like, my socks don't match. I don't care about that. I just shove them in the drawer. Claire, if she has the time, dear lover, she doesn't these days, puts them into the, one of those wee sausages inside the drawer. I just want the place to look tidy. I like it looking tidy. I don't care if it looks untidy behind cupboards. Claire doesn't care about it looking tidy outside. She'd rather the cupboards were tidy. Claire is efficient to the maximum. I remember that day I got that revelation. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it was a revelation. I went, you do everything out of efficiency. She was like, oh, yes. I went, I do everything because it seems nice, feels nice, and will pretty much look good. We are completely different. And obviously this point is really made for just me because the rest of you when you got married didn't struggle with it. So my analogy is completely and utterly flawed. But for me, what I've learned is that my assumption that God's ways are similar to my ways are completely wrong. So now from walking for a bit, I know that when he comes and says, let's do this this way, I don't balk at him. I don't go, well, what about this? Why would you do that? Just say, how high would you like me to jump? In what direction would you like me to jump in? What shoes should I be wearing when I jump? Do I need to wear shorts or trousers when I jump? And when are we going to do this jump? Rather than, I don't think that's a good idea, God. Why don't we do it this way? 
His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he gets it done. Whenever the rain comes, it waters the earth and returns back because God knows exactly what he's doing. And when he does it, he will accomplish everything. Bless everybody. Even whenever it's causing people to get irritated, the function of what God does is he exposes so that he can deal with. If you're going through a season in your life where it's incredibly difficult and you're wondering why it's not stopping and you're horrified at the stuff and the way that you're reacting, well, hold your judgment on not being the devil all the time. It may be. It may be, but I guarantee you that God is after something in that process. He is always after something in you. And if you respond with faith and obedience, you will get there. So just because it's painful, just because it's hard, just because it's taken longer than you thought it would, it's still his activity. And he will reorientate you if you do not give up. In all of this, as we become more heavenly minded, we will find we will be in of incredible earthly use. I remember somebody saying that to me years ago. Oh, so heavenly minded of no earthly use. Evidently not. We're not talking about super spirituality that is just for the sake of it and it's fluff and I had this experience and that experience and this was wonderful and this showed up to me and that was that and I fell over and wept and blah, 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 blah. All of those things can happen, do happen and God does use them. But what we're looking for is fruit and transformed and changed lives. Can I have an amen to that? We're not about running after spiritual experiences. We're running after the one the one who knows what he's doing and who loves us deeply and dearly and can transform us. And the other thing I want to say is that reorientation is not always about our character. This is my third example. Peter and the blanket of animals. If we go to Acts 10 verses 9 to 16. The next day as they were on their their way and were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof of the house about the sixth hour, which was about noon to pray. But he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet descending, lowered by its four corners to the earth. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not at all, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is uncommon, unholy, and ceremonially unclean. That's a religious attitude right there. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed and pronounced clean, no longer consider common or unholy. This happened three times, and then immediately the object was taken up to heaven. Now, if we move on in Acts 10 to verse 17. Now, Peter was still perplexed and completely at a loss as to what his vision could mean when the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, arrived at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. Do you notice that uh, Simon Peter was also making that transition? Peter also called Simon. It's a process. While Peter was thoughtfully considering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Now listen, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitating or doubting, because I have sent them myself. So Peter's sitting there pondering the vision. What does it mean? What does it mean? And God says, listen, abandon that train of thought. These three guys that are coming, I've sent them and you need to go with them. How many times do you get that? God, what are you doing here? Would you go out for a run? What? What's that got to do with anything? Lord, what are you doing here with me? I need you to go and, uh, could you go and get that? Because you're going to need that for tomorrow. 
You're going to need your umbrella today. What? I'm asking you a question about this. <laughs> when actually, he's always answering our questions. Remember, his ways are not our ways and our thoughts are not our thoughts. It's our job to not lean on our own understanding and listen to the one who's calling us. So verse 22, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, well spoken of by all the Jewish people, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging for the night. And then, Acts 10, 34 Peter said, most certainly I understand now that God is not one to show partiality to people as though Gentiles were excluded from God's blessing, but in every nation, the person who fears God and does what is right by seeking him is acceptable and welcomed by him. Because Peter was reorientated in his understanding of what God was up to, you and I are here today. It wasn't about Peter's character It wasn't that he needed to alter something that was going on. It was that he needed to understand what God was up to. So reorientation is not always going to be about God pointing at you saying, you need to give that up, you need to start that. Let me show you where you are so that I can move you to where you will be. Sometimes it's just understanding what it is that he's doing. And we are only reorientated by and in the presence of God. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. And no one gets to the Father apart from going through him. He is the door. He is both the pathway and the destination. And he is our true north. When you are using a compass, no matter whether you have all of the right gear and it's the most expensive compass in the world, the best one that money can buy, unless you find your true north, you will be heading in the wrong direction. And the world is screaming at us, especially today, going, my north is here. Your north can be wherever you want your north to be. I don't know, maybe there's another north. Maybe north doesn't actually exist. There are no absolute truths, which as Andrew pointed out one time, even that's an absolute statement. Everybody's saying there's no truth. There's not only one way. When the Bible is stating clearly that there is, we have got to find our true north Jesus, born of a virgin, suffered and died on a cross, raised from the dead, third day ascended to heaven, and is right now, right now, at the right-hand side of the Father. And he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. And he is here with us right now. Hebrews 11, 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. We believe, so let's reorientate ourselves to the true north of Jesus Christ. Now, let me talk a little bit about whenever we uh, reorientate ourselves to him and continue to experience him. Can I ask you, have you noticed since you've been attending church? Because we're uh, always creating circumstances really where we are facilitating his presence. So have you noticed yourself start to change? Maybe some of you quite dramatically, other of you maybe more gradually. Sometimes it's a bit like when you're growing. You don't notice that you've grown until you can reach certain things or to someone else points at you and says, my goodness, you've grown. Or if you're losing weight, there's a point where people go, you've really lost weight. And you're like, flip, oh really? my goodness, these trousers don't fit me anymore. So as we experience him and as we get into his presence, we're changed. 
You all are familiar with this. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. Whenever a person turns in repentance and faith to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed in his image from one degree to another. The glory which comes from the Lord, his Spirit. So this is a year to reprioritize. As we make God our first priority, we will no longer be at the tyranny of the urgent. There are so many things that are snapping at our heels, are there not? This got to get done, and that has to get done, and what about this, and what about that? And I can't spend time with God in the morning because I'm just too busy. Or maybe actually what we need to do is put that cornerstone in first. Okay, help me to reprioritize my day-to-day. What I find in my testimony would be is as I do that, I think straighter. I think cleaner and I have more capacity to strategize, to understand, to see what needs to be ditched for the day and to see what is the main priority. Would that be anybody else's testimony as well? No, I'm on my own. Well, then let me uh, really prophesy that to you. If you choose to do this and make him your true north, if you go after the kingdom first, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and then you'll get everything else. The everything else will come as we go after him. The stuff that we don't get, I guarantee you, it talks about in Philippians, that God works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. So there are things that I have desperately desired and desperately wanted. And as I've gone after him, I couldn't care less whether I had that anymore. And there are other things that weren't on my radar that I really, really want because I trust that he's working in me to will and to act. So this is the year to be reprioritized. We are in a process of becoming so that we can be blessed. I've talked about this before, uh, Psalm 37, 4, that um, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. That we've got to be given our desires because if we're being honest, we're not too sure what the desires of our hearts are. If we have some revelation of it, I guarantee you it's because we have delighted ourselves in him. Now, tie in 2 Corinthians where we're in his presence and we're in front of him and we're being changed by his glory. As we do that, as we delight in him, we are being changed, okay? So if God was to bless us with what we are going to receive before we are become the person that we need to be to receive it, I guarantee you that that blessing would be a curse. So we have got to go after him. And as we continue, and don't give up. Aaron, at the minute, you're writing out about being committed, the fruit of commitment. And as we don't give up, and as we persevere, we are changed and we are transformed. And we become the type of person that can receive what God wants to give to us. And that is about reorientation. So this year, let him reorientate you. Let him show you where you are. And let him prophesy to you where he wants to take you. When God exposes a void, it's not to point out that you've got lack. It's so that he can fill it. So don't be afraid. He is so much better than we think he is. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that God is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. He is so much better than we think he is. So let's make him our true north. Could I get you guys to come up? 
I want to give you some examples of what I think that the fruit can be from this process of reorientation. If we go after, God, I want you to reorientate this part of my life, you're going to miss it. If you go after him, then he will reorientate the things in your life that need reorientated. Now, that requires a death to self that we go, okay, I'm not my own anymore. I'm not sure what the best thing is for me, but I'm going to go after you. So there's a couple of things I I want to suggest. One of them is our relationships. It might be um, our marriages. It might be um, just our relationships, our friendships. It could be our family. One thing that happened to me a number of years ago is uh, my son Isaac, he's now five, most of you know him. Uh, I was, would have been quite harsh with him. I thought he's a bloke, you know, you got to do this, son, got to be that. And then one day as I was doing that, the Spirit said, he doesn't need that. He needs you to be gentle with him. He's got kindness. And Isaac is one of the kindest little people that I have ever met. He responds to kindness. Now, I'm going to be firm with him but he responds to kindness. He is moved by kindness because that's who he was created to be. At the minute with Anna, there's a little thing, a little way that we're connecting that has just burned so much fruit. So I'm going to reorientate my life to make sure that that is an important part of what is going to be in my life and in my relationship with her. So let him reorientate you in your understanding of those closest to you. Might be where you live. It might be your job, what you do or how you do it or how you view what you do. It might be your finances. It might be what you do with your money or what you don't do with your money or how you invest it. It might be that you go, I'm going to set aside this amount or I'm going to invest in doing this. might invest in doing that or I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to put that away. I'm going to pay that debt off. It might and most obviously will be your time, how you're investing it and what you're investing it in. And in that, what you're seeing and what you're looking at, what you're reading, what images you're seeing, and then also what you hear and what you listen to. Can I ask you to stand with me? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a year of freedom, freedom from things and freedom to things. What I've noticed about Jesus is he comes to set us free so that we can make choices. He gives you back yourself. Often asks you when you ask him, he'll say, well, what do you think? What would you like to do? Seems a bit strange. Well, he's not here to control you, so let it be a freedom from and a freedom to. A year that if we don't resist God's reorientation, he will give us back what has been stolen from us. Does that sound like a plan? Does that sound like a good word? If that's a good word, you want to receive that. A year of opportunity and a year of reorientation. So as always, I've got a few questions to help you to respond. Do you know that you need to make God your true north? Are you afraid of what he might ask you to do? I think there's some of us likely that are here going, I don't know do the trick of the old people if I just don't look at the car as I walk across the street it doesn't exist and won't hit me don't just close your eyes because you're afraid of what he might do he is so good or do you have real areas of struggle in your life relational with your job financial addictions how you spend your time 
If you can answer yes to any of these questions or if you just want ministry, please come and join me now at the